The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. All right, Tommy's here to start. Cooley will join later on in the program. Uh, Tommy with a chance to weigh in on the division-winning championship Washington football team. Let me hear your reaction to not only the win over Philadelphia, but the season that ended up being a division-winning playoff season. Well, you know, as I was kind of pumped up for the game, it was a Sunday night game. Uh, my brother-in-law is an Eagles fan, so I was going to enjoy watching it with him. It was such a terrible game. It was so bad. It was, it was such such a, a, a disappointment to watch if you had no horse in the race as as the finale. And then it turned into a debacle when when Doug Peterson, you know, basically I point out my column, I think he committed election fraud with uh, (laughs) some of the moves that he made in that game. And if you're a Washington fan, I mean, you you won the game, you won the NFC East, and all that is great to celebrate. But uh, it shouldn't have been that hard against that team. I mean, they, they they struggled to win. It shouldn't have been that difficult to win that game. You're, again, you're playing a, a, an Eagles team that, you know, that half the roster seemed to be out with nothing to play for. And now it turns out a coach who was trying to lose and you still, you know, barely won 20 to 14. So, I mean, it was not a great night, but it was a great result. Uh, if you're a Washington football fan and Ron Rivera, you know, did what he said he wanted to do. When it became clear early on that the Eagles were not going to be the Eagles people thought they were, and neither were the Cowboys, that the NFC East was going to be up for grabs. And uh, he determined that you know, he saw and he knows the value of winning the division. It puts you in the tournament, the postseason tournament. Uh, in your first year, it establishes a foundation of success. For you, for your record, even with a seven and nine record, it still establishes uh, a starting point of success, and that's valuable for for Ron Rivera to win over uh, the Washington fan base, and uh, you know, uh, building his culture here. So the result was important, 
but the game itself and and the questions about this team uh still remain did they um I want to come back to the, the the game because I think you hit on something very important and it, it was going to be a part of what um, I elaborated on with respect to the Peterson tanking um, job and uh, tank job in the fourth quarter. But you know, you were very adamant um, early in the season before the season started that a real important thing for Ron Rivera was to win immediately. Did seven and nine with a playoff game and a division title, does that qualify in your mind as enough winning to keep the owner at bay? I think it does. I think that he has a number of components going for him. Look, Jay Gruden won the NFC East in his second year. Not quite the first year, but his second year as coach. And you would think, you would have thought that would have been enough to establish his credibility and give him some strength in the organization. But he had Bruce Allen to deal with, you know, and the owner, uh, Dan Snyder, wasn't as vulnerable as he is now. Uh, Ron Rivera has no Bruce Allen to, to, to uh, get in his way. Uh, Ron Rivera uh, has, has an owner right now who is fighting for his life as, as the owner of this Washington football team. So he's, he's, the owner has never been weaker from a power uh, standpoint than he is now. Ron has that uh, working for him as well. Plus, Rivera is a sympathetic extremely likable and respected figure. I mean, like I pointed out in the column, Jay was, Jay didn't come in with, with any of those credentials and he never, he, you never really could take Jay Gruden seriously. He always seemed like a frat boy, you know, and uh, Ron Rivera seems like an adult, you know, that comes, that comes off that way. And uh, all those things are, 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 I think going to work to uh, strengthen Ron Rivera's, uh, you know, base of power within that organization if and when he has to do battle, if it ever happens, with, with Dan Snyder over serious football issues. So I think he accomplished that with the division title. Seven and nine, you know, not so much, obviously. But, you know, they're playing they're playing in, in, in a playoff game against Tampa Bay at at, at – Ghost Town Field. I mean, that's an accomplishment in your first year after a three and thirteen team uh, with so much turmoil in that building. You mean you don't you you can't see a player giving um, Ron Rivera the the little nipple noogie that Deshaun Jackson <laughs> gave to Jay Gruden that year. You know, it yeah. really it really was. Uh, it's quite amazing. I mean, you know, Jay, great sense of humor, great guy. Um, just not a head coach. Um, but six years worth of Gruden we got. Yeah, you know the, the funny thing about Gruden taking them to the postseason in 2015 is you know he probably had the ability had they been supportive of the quarterback situation, uh, management uh, being uh, supportive of the quarterback situation to maybe have a chance to go on you know a competitive run. Remember they they, they went nine and seven, eight seven and one 
and seven and nine, I think it was. I like that three year stretch was the best three year stretch since the the golden years, you know, in the organization. Um, but you know, the big difference obviously is that no one in management was supportive of the quarterback. They 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 wanted Jay Gruden to do it with RG three. Look, um, I, I want I want to come back to a bigger picture question, which is. Do you think there was a turning point to the season? Because I think there was, and I want I want to talk about it. But the Peterson situation Sunday night, and you and you talking about the game brings me to to this because I think it's very interesting. First of all, Cooley said yesterday on the podcast he hated what happened to Nate Sudfeld because Nate Sudfeld is a really well liked guy, well respected, great sense of humor, a great guy. Last night I was talking to somebody, I'm not going to mention who, who said that Nate Sudfeld has been one of the favorite people in every locker room he's been in. And he made the point that there is just no possible way that Doug Peterson would have made the decision on his own to do what he ended up doing to Nate Sudfeld, which is make America think that Nate Sudfeld was an absolute disaster at quarterback. It really, Cooley was like, it really hurt his reputation. No, nobody even knew who Nate Sudfeld was, and now everybody knows who he is. He's the guy that they used to tank the game. And he said, it's a shame because everybody really likes Nate. Every locker room he's been in, including Washington's and Philadelphia's, he's been a very popular guy. And so the conversation that I had with somebody else last night that said that's absolutely true, and there's no way that Doug Peterson did that to him. No way. It was a Howie Roseman, Jeffrey Lurie decision. They called down in the in, in, in the game, and I'm going to get to what you said here in a moment because I think it's very interesting, and said, we can't win this game. We didn't think we were going to have a chance to win it, and now we have a chance to win it. you got to take Jalen out. you got to put Sudfeld in. And a lot of people in the know do not think that that was a Doug Peterson decision. Peterson covered for Lurie and Roseman more likely than not, at least according to, to the people that I talked to. Um, but this was not his decision, that he would not have done this to this very popular player. Um, not to mention that he would have wanted to continue to compete. Because the bottom line is, a lot of teams tank before the games in Week 17, and Philadelphia tried to tank before the game. They sat so many players. They didn't have a desire to win the game Sunday night, but very rarely, if ever, have we seen a team with a chance to win a, to win a game in any week, including Week 17, like Houston had a chance to win, um, like Jacksonville had a chance to win in the fourth quarter, um, like Pittsburgh had a chance to win in the fourth quarter against uh, Cleveland. Very rarely have we ever seen a decision made like the one made in the middle of that fourth quarter. And let me just point out two things. Number one, yes, I do know what Jalen Hurts' statistics were. But if you were watching that game, you understood statistically bad, but he was their only chance. He was the guy that gave them a chance. This is what I pointed out in my column. His mobility was an issue. Yes. His I mean that that was their only chance of winning that game. They scored their two touchdowns because because he ran the ball. Yes. You know, I mean no one would no one thought he was passing. Obviously, he missed a wide open receiver in the end zone. 
on that fourth and goal that that Peterson called, uh, which was a mistake anyway. But I mean, yeah, that their chance to win was Jalen Hurts somehow breaking down, you know, getting down the field and 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 scoring somehow. I mean, and and you're right, Nate Sudfeld. I don't know Nate Sudfeld at all, but you don't hang around an organization as a backup quarterback for what three years now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and not have friends. Third, third and, and string quarterback. Third string, remember. That's okay. Third yeah. string. You don't hang around that long uh, in, in the same organization without being a well-liked figure. You know, it's a real um, – God, man, I, I'm, I'm getting off track here, but I, I mentioned this earlier on my radio show when I said it's a real lesson, you know, for younger people in particular who, you know, sometimes are like – Ah, you know, this isn't a good situation for me. I'm, you know, I don't like my job description. I don't, you know, I'm Nate Sudfeld is the perfect example of a guy who is hung around because he's a good guy. He's a team first guy. He will do anything asked of him. He'll go beyond the job description and he's likable, you know, because uh, if he weren't likable and if he weren't a good team guy, there's no way he'd be in the league right now. No, you know, Chase, look at Chase Daniels career. Another perfect example. Um, but let me just continue because number one is that Jalen Hurts, I know, was 7 of 20 in, in, for 72 yards and wasn't Dan Marino. I understand that, people. Okay? But he was their only chance to win, and he had him within a field goal in the fourth quarter at 17-14. And the only reason they were within three was because of Jalen Hurts. Number two, I also don't believe what some people believe, which is if they didn't make the decision to pull Jalen Hurts, they would have won the game. I don't believe that. I still think Washington would have figured out a way to win the game. It would have been really, I mean, it would have been more of a coin flip situation, but I think Washington wasn't done if Jalen Hurts stays in the game. That's that's ridiculous. You know, in the same way that when Joe Burrow got hurt, people think, well, that's the only reason Washington won. Washington took the lead with Joe Burrow still in the game in the second half. So, you know, at the at worst case, that was a game that was going to go back and forth that Washington was going to have a chance to win. And Sunday night, they still could have won. But let me just get to what you said, and I think it's spot on. And I brought this up this morning in part to explain to people that a lot of people in the know don't think it was Doug Peterson's decision. But two is this. What does it say about Washington that they were playing a team that sat going into the game, Fletcher Cox, Derek Barnett, Miles Sanders, Dallas Goddard, um, and multiple key players. They didn't want to win the game going in. And what does it say that they didn't bury Philadelphia on Sunday night? Because the only reason this is a story, which, by the way, was the biggest story in sports yesterday, the in-game Doug Peterson, Philadelphia Eagle tanking of a game that knocked the Giants out of the playoffs. That's the, you know, that's the storyline. And it was, a, I thought, a very unique situation. And there's a whole other discussion on whether or not you think that that's a, a, the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do. But the bottom line is they went into the game not wanting to win the game. That's why they sat all those players, which is not abnormal at all in Week 17. Washington didn't bury them if they had bringing in Nate Sudfeld in a 24-6 game in the fourth quarter would not have generated one response, not one. It would have been thought to be, 
yeah, the game's over, and he, the guy's given Nate a chance to take some reps here at the end of the year. Because Washington didn't bury a team that didn't want to win coming in and sat most of their best players, including their best player in Fletcher Cox, they created this opportunity or this dilemma for Philadelphia, which is we thought we'd be down 24 to 7 at this point, and we're hanging around, but we don't want to be hanging around. But you can't tell Jalen Hurts to go out there and not play hard. You know, you can't tell Greg Ward and Boston Scott and J.J. And JJ Ortega Whiteside not to play hard. But they set it up for themselves to be down by three touchdowns in the fourth quarter, but they weren't. So it does certainly beg the question, oh boy, uh, you couldn't bury Philadelphia when they were asking to be buried. And if you had buried them and you had been up 24-6 to in the fourth quarter, this switch to Nate Sudfeld would not have caused one ripple of reaction. Not one. So You're yeah. right. You're absolutely right about that. And look, again, like you said, I'm not saying that Phil, he would have won the game if Jalen Hurts was in. But, but you're looking – it really should have been – uh, if it wasn't for Doug Peterson and whoever was pulling his strings, 17 to 17 yes. into the fourth quarter. Yes. And I mean, if you told any coach before a game and facing that situation that you'll be tied going into the fourth quarter, they take that every time. Right. But they didn't want so they didn't want it. No, they didn't <laughs> want it. Hey, look, Washington's offense is, is, is really bad. I mean, they've got. You know, they're important guys banged up. Uh, Terry McLaurin, Antonio Gibson, Alex Smith, obviously. They're all limited physically. Uh, and they've got nothing else. Uh, Logan Thomas, but, you know, you can't keep you can't keep trying to break Roy Halou's single-season catch record in, in, in a game. That's not going to win you games. But uh, they, they just don't generate any offense. Even throughout this run, they really have not generated much offense. Yeah, but they've and generated enough offense. And that's why they went 5-2 and two down the stretch. Because they figured out how to possess the ball, convert on third downs, you know, be enough offensively with a good defensive team and a playmaking defensive team to win five of their final seven games and qualify for the postseason. And it's interesting because I was going to ask you about this. Um, you know, there's obviously and justifiably a lot of debate about what to do Saturday night at quarterback. <clears throat> what I said to Cooley yesterday is um, Alex Smith was not the Alex Smith of the San Francisco game. He was accurate even though he was immobile and he was hurting, and I would not have benched him during the game. Uh, that almost looked like a terrible thought, which was my thought, and I tweeted it out at halftime when he turned it over you know, th- nearly twice and nearly three times in the second half. Um, but I would start Alex Smith if he's at least as healthy as he was on Saturday, on Sunday night against Philadelphia. I mean, this Taylor Heineke obsession, I don't get. I don't know anything about it. Maybe people are right about that, but I don't know enough to know that he can be much better than Alex Smith. Alex Smith led a great opening drive and a very critical end of first half drive that ended up being the difference in the game. He converted six of nine third downs in the first half, even though it was clear that he was not mobile. 
Um, but you know what? Tom Brady's not mobile, and Ben Roethlisberger isn't mobile, and Drew Brees isn't that mobile anymore. And and he was accurate, though, in the first half, and he was making the right reads, and they, they had two critical drives. But what do you think? You know, would you have pulled them on sun, on Sunday night? And then what would you do Saturday night against the uh, against the Buccaneers? I don't know if I would have pulled them or not. Uh, I probably would not have. Uh, and uh, I certainly would start him against the Bucs uh, because I think, for one thing, I think the level of competitive fire in your team goes down if you start Taylor Heineke against the Bucks compared to Alex Smith. I just think the, the, the air goes out of the balloon just a little bit for the rest of the team if, they know, if, they, if Alex Smith is not back there for them. Obviously, so, I mean, though, you, you would feel that if Alex Smith was hurt like he was in the 49er game, that you can't put that Alex Smith out there. Right. Yeah. Right. But okay. everything you pointed out is true. He, he was effective enough to, uh, at, at most points of that game for, for them to sustain some level of success. And you're right. I don't get the whole – well, everyone loves the backup quarterback. You know, the backup quarterback is the guy who's not screwing up. So everyone thinks the backup quarterback can win the game, whoever it is. So I, I, I understand that. The, I mean, that's a, that's a typical phenomenon. People thinking, well, put that guy in. He can play quarterback, you yeah. know, but no, I, I would start Alex Smith, but I don't think, I don't think it, it matters who they start uh, on, on Saturday night. But it, it, again, I mean, you know, nobody Washington fans may not like this, but, but Rivera accomplished what he wanted to do. He got he got, he got them into the playoffs, got them a playoff game, won the NFC East, all in his first year, dealing with what three different quarterbacks over the course of, four different quarterbacks over over the course of a season. Uh, mission accomplished. No matter what happens Saturday night, Ron Rivera has his fourth division title in. Um, nine years of being a head coach, nine years of being a head coach, um, with two of them being with losing records. Uh, yeah. But anyway, um, I want I want just you to answer real quickly because then I want to take a break and come back and ask you um, about sort of a turning point moment in the season if you have an idea on that because I have a couple of thoughts on that. But real quickly, with respect to the Eagles in-game, you know, openly trying to lose the game, what what are your thoughts on that? I mean, we know that teams go into games wanting to lose by sitting starters, et cetera. I think what we saw Sunday night, though, was really a first, a team that had a chance to continue to compete and win, and they decided that that's not what they wanted to do, and they made a drastic change to ensure that it didn't happen. What, did you, what, did, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think the way you put it was particularly uh, funny in that uh... – they they panicked probably at halftime thinking, you know, we 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 might win this game, <laughs> right? You know, I mean that wasn't the plan. No, uh, I mean you know most teams most teams are smart enough to at least give a level of cover for tanking, but then most teams are not playing the Washington football team in in the final game uh, of of the of the year. I mean it's really remarkable. That, that speaks to sort of still the level of dysfunction uh, that is still hung over this football team in that 
they force their opponent to you know come out in the open to tank the game. <laughs> well, they did because because they, they couldn't, couldn't put they couldn't put they, away the backups. Yeah. Yeah, now, so, I mean... I mean, Jalen Hurts uh, had been a starter for three weeks coming into the game, so... Yes, yeah. But uh, do you think there's any ramifications on this? No, I I don't think there's a solution to it. I don't think there's a real solution to it. I mean, could you fine the Eagles and say what you did was really disgraceful um, as it relates to the competitive integrity of the game? But then you could say, well, we could have just you know sat everybody and called up a, a practice squad quarterback, and that's what we'll do next time. You know, look, um, someone might say, you know, Cleveland didn't put away Pittsburgh's backups, and Pittsburgh went into that game with all the backups, not intending to win the game. But Pittsburgh did compete. They didn't give up. They they drove the field and and had a chance on a two point conversion to tie it, and then they went for the onside kick to try to tie it again. You know, but their draft positioning wasn't going to be as impacted as Philadelphia's. Philadelphia was going. I mean, the purpose was to improve their draft position. Period. You know, so I, th- there's no solution to this. It was just a very interesting and very unique situation. Not unique in teams entering Week 17, resting starters if they're a good team, or even resting starters if they're a bad team. If they have nothing to play for, we've seen this over and over again for years. And it's just too bad if you're a team relying on that team to win the game to get you into the postseason. You should have won more games. Joe Judge complained about this, said this would never happen and will never happen as long as he's the head coach of the Giants. They will always compete to win. And, you know, recognizing that the Eagles purposefully lost the football game. Well, there's a bit of sour grapes in that. Um, you know, win more than six games. I'll tell you what, Tommy, how about if you were if you were the Colts and 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 you were an eleven win team and you had to rely and fill it like if you were an eleven win um uh, give me another. Let's just say Arizona was. Uh, the NFC had all these great teams, and eleven and five, which is what Indy was. They were they they were potentially going to miss out on the postseason. And what if they? Well, actually, Indy relied on Buffalo, okay, to beat Miami, and then they had to beat Jacksonville. What if Buffalo, in the midst of that game against Miami, had a were down three late and playing well, pulled Josh Allen? and put in Matt Barkley, and they lost the game. If you're an 11-win team, that's really painful. But if you're yeah. a six-win team, sorry, win more games. But anyway, it was again, it was the uniqueness of the situation. It's not what we've ever seen before. An open, in-game decision to not try to win the game, um, to truly attempt to lose the football game even though they nearly almost won it the fumbled snap bounced right up into the air almost into an eagle I mean it would have been a Herm Edwards Joe Pisarchik situation um but it was it was uh I I don't I don't know what I feel I I do feel like if you're there with the players you have and you've got a chance to win the game whether it impacts somebody else's playoff chances or not you should probably try to win the game, but I say that, and at the, you know, I was openly rooting for Washington to lose the game against the Giants last year so that they could get Chase Young, but but that game did not impact anybody's playoff hopes. Yeah, um, look, I mean, you have to fit. You know, what's the the long term benefit is the draft uh, selection, right? That's it. The long term damage 
is the damage to Doug Peterson in the locker room. That's true. I mean, the, the Inquirer had a story about how uh, several Eagles players, defensive players, had to be held back from going after the head coach on the sideline after the decision was made. And it co- this apparently, according to the Philly Inquirer story, caused tremendous, tremendous unrest on that bench in, in, in that fourth quarter. And how do you know, talking about Nate Sudfeld, how do you think that makes Nate Sudfeld feel that the team was ready to revolt because they were putting him in the game and they like him? Yeah, that's that's the part that um, that's why a lot of people believe that Doug Peterson did not make the call on that. Um, and you know what? If the, if that locker room really looks at Doug Peterson differently because of this, well, then management has to step in and defend him if they were the ones that made the decision. Yeah, you know? and I mean, if I mean, and the players could say, "Well, Doug, they're not standing next to you on the sideline. No one's putting a gun to your head." Yeah, uh, but you know, you know but you're the coach for... on, on on the sideline. You're the coach. Yeah, I agree. I, I, it's, it's a, you know, it's funny. We have talked for years about how dysfunctional this franchise is yes, and how dysfunctional the Cowboys are in the NFC East. The Eagles are now, you know, just a couple of years removed from a Super Bowl with a coach that they thought was like going to be there forever and never have to pay for a drink the rest of his life in Philadelphia. Um, like Dick Vermeil, who lost the Super Bowl, and Ron Jaworski, who quarterbacked the lost Super Bowl. Um, they'll never have to pay for a meal ever again in Philadelphia. Uh, Doug Peterson was approaching that territory, and his job was on the line. <laughs> I, I'll tell you what, I'm personally not a massive fan of Peterson as a head coach. I think he is a very good offensive mind and very creative um, but good God, these guys that are beholden to these analytics decisions and they don't consider context. I mean, I, I've i seen some of the stupidest things done by him uh, over the course of this year. It would drive me nuts if I were an Eagles fan. But they're dysfunctional right now. Um, so Yeah, that's an added benefit to, to if you're a Washington football fan. It's the other team. That that that's a mess. Yeah, you but, know it, it's 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 the Philly team that we're we're playing out into a, a, a an aura of self destruction, so to speak. Yeah, and 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 seriously, you, you know the Giants can go to hell. Um, you know it was John Mara who basically was responsible for a thirty six million dollar salary cap that crippled this organization for a few years. Not that you Actually, know it it was Bruce Allen who was responsible. No, it was John Mara who was responsible no, for it. It was Bruce Allen. You no, know, people need to stop. No, you, you, you need to this. stop. They the, need to stop whining the, about this. The, Thirty teams in the NFL. The league approved managed every to get that single. Right. The league approved every single move that Washington made. Tommy, they got approval, and then Mara said, "No, no, 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 no." And Dallas, Washington, and New Orleans, Washington the biggest, Dallas 10 million, Washington 36 million, and then whatever the Saints were punished. Mara wanted Dan Snyder and Bruce Allen punished for not going out in the uncapped season and signing a bunch of big contract players, but trying to reduce their salary cap number by moving some existing contracts into that year, which nobody said they couldn't do. 
Nobody said well, that. No, they did. They did say that. No, they said you couldn't go out and, in the uncapped in the uncapped thing. The emphasis in the league. I've been told by uh, this by, by by several people, and yes, one of them's Mike. The emphasis was we are not going out and using the uncapped situation to make big free agent splash signings. They didn't do that. They moved some of their bad contracts, which, by the way, they were responsible for, no doubt their bad contracts into the uncapped season so that they weren't carried forward. No one said and and emphasized that that would be a problem, and they were all approved by the league. But anyway, um, enough about that. Um, I want to take a break, come back, and finish up with Tommy on what was this season's turning point. Right after this word from one of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Cooley coming up uh, in a few minutes. Tommy uh, with me for one more segment. And I just want to ask you, and I asked callers this this morning, I thought it was just interesting that Ron Rivera's presser um, on Monday, yesterday, it was a lot about the season just completed, a lot less about sort of looking forward to Tampa Bay. And, you know, things like, you know, turning points and moments where did he really think this would happen, et cetera, et cetera. And I just thought about in my own mind, you know, not what I thought in the moment, but in hindsight, you know, now that we've seen the whole season, what was the moment if there was one, and I think there, you know, you can make the case that it was more than one, but if there was one moment that turned this season from on its way to three and 13 top three pick Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields sweepstakes into a seven and nine division winning playoff season. Was there, is there one moment that sticks out to you? Cause there is one for me. Well, there isn't one for me necessarily. The moment where I thought, you know, they may seriously be able to do this, that they were just not like maybe accidentally going to fall into something good was the Thanksgiving Dallas game to me. I mean, that that was the game where I said, okay, okay, they might actually pull this off. <laughs> right. They, they might actually win the, the, the NFC East. Uh, you know, I don't, but I don't have any particular moment in mind. Obviously you do. What is it? 
you know, actually, Tommy, that th- that Dallas Thanksgiving Day game was, I think, the moment for me too, where it's like, all right, they can do this. And oh, by the way, you know, the Pittsburgh game's not going to be impossible. You know, it was weird how when we got to the Pittsburgh game finally, there was a sense that it was a winnable game, um, and it turned out to be a winnable game. But uh, to me, um, it's it's not that it's simple because I think there's a lot that went into it. But the turning point of the season was when Ron Rivera chose his locker room over his owner's preference. And he benched Dwayne Haskins after the Baltimore game, which was the game in which there was the in-game failed late quiz that he gave Haskins, you know, at the end of the game that he failed miserably um, on. It was the game in which Haskins was uh, reportedly uh, bragging about his fantasy numbers after a two-touchdown right. loss to the Ravens. Um, but Ron Rivera, you know, at 1-3, decided that uh, he could potentially uh, lose the locker room if he didn't bench the quarterback, even though we know what the owner's preference was. And, you know, this is a ballsy move, you know, by the head coach. Now, I think there were two significant influences that made it happen then. The state of the division being terrible was definitely an influence, you know, an influence on his decision to do it then. Because if Philadelphia was 4-0 and Dallas was 3-1 and and Washington was 1-3, then the long game, the big picture, culture change season would have continued, in my view. For how much longer? I don't know. Eventually he was going to bench Dwayne Haskins because Dwayne Haskins wasn't going to be a part of this team. He wasn't going to be a part of Ron Rivera's culture. And the only reason he started down this path was because, you know, I'm not going to describe it as a quid pro quo, but there was certainly an understanding that he would give Dwayne a shot. You know, and there was no preseason and no training camp to prove that Dwayne didn't deserve the shot and that Kyle Allen should have been the starter. The division being terrible was an influencer. I also think after four games, even though statistically it may not have been proven uh, to be the case, but I think when we were watching those those games, we realized that was an improved defense. That was a playoff-caliber defense. And I think both of those things in the moment – made him stand up and say, uh, I owe it to the rest of these players um, to play the guy that gives us the best chance to win. And oh, by the way, look at this crappy division. And in 2014, I won a division when I was 3-8-1. and one. I think that experience in 2014 and the memory of it also was influential. But the decision to bench Dwayne Haskins after the Baltimore game was the turning point. Not only the turning point in the season, it could have been the turning point in a new era. Because if he doesn't do it then and and they continue to play Dwayne, and look, they lost the next two games without Dwayne. So, you know, it's not like they won the games. But they became a professional offense. And the other 52 players in the locker room he didn't lose. Remember, we've been told many times by previous coaches, the locker room knows. And if you don't, if you play a guy that doesn't give you the best chance to win, you can lose the locker room. After I, after I mentioned this this morning, somebody sent me um, Sally Jenkins' column from the day after they benched Dwayne. And um, she wrote very similarly to what I said, that this was a defining moment and that it could prove to be a defining moment, not only in the season, but really for Ron Rivera's 
you know, coach because it wasn't going to be easy. And Dan Snyder's response to it, according to Rivera, was that's fine, but you're going to live with it, meaning you're going to live with the results of this. And Sally wrote, Rivera obviously prefers this to the dissension within his locker room over one player's special dispensation to grow into his job simply because the owner likes to play fantasy football. And then her final line of her column, she said, this is an important moment. It's Rivera's one and only chance to get the dynamic of his team right. And he seized it. And I agree with that. I mean, I, I think that that was the moment. You know, there are. But it doesn't. But but without. Uh, if they had. If, if they had lost to Philly. We haven't talked about this. If they had lost to Philly, the entire season's a, a, a failure. The entire season is a failure. Not for his locker room, though. Not for the players uh, but, that he's going know, to coach I mean, at least next locker year. Locker rooms change. Tommy, nobody had Dwayne's back when he got cut last week. I know that, but my point is that tells with you the everything. Owner, and that's the and that's just as important as the locker room with the owner. The whole season's a disappointment, a failure if they don't be Philly. But he doesn't get fired and in the offseason because of it. He doesn't get fired in the offseason. I mean, my God, he didn't fire Zorn. Uh, in, you know. <laughs> I know, true. But I, I I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. I, yeah, I think so. I think you're so right. One, I mean, I, I look. I, they call Riverboat Rod. He has the courage uh, of his convictions, and he's willing to take the risk if he's wrong. But the risk was great. If you don't win, that if you don't turn around and have something to show for what you did, like 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 you know you know like Sally said about Dad, you know you're going to have to live with it. Well, he can live with this now. Uh, you know. Uh, so that's why doing this in this year was so important for him. Yeah. I mean, to, to have some level of success ever making a move like that, but they lose to Philly. I mean, first first year is a disappointment. I mean, in part because Ron Rivera had touted their chance to win a division. And if they don't win it, it's a disappointment. So that, that game against Philly was very important, not just <clears throat> for the NFC East title. Yeah, I, 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 I think that that's right, and I think that's definitely right in most normal situations with this owner. I just wonder what the state of the owner is right now. And sure, he would have been disappointed. And, you know, the bottom line is if they didn't win Sunday night against a team that was openly tanking, it would have – like if they had lost after it became so obvious that they were openly tanking, like let's just say that that fumble bounced up, you know, uh, Joe Pisarchik, Herm Edward, Edward style and got returned for a touchdown because that guy wasn't going to – you know, he wasn't going to slide down at the one. He would have taken it into the end zone, and they would have had the lead. And if they had lost, it would have really been awful, and it would have ultimately been a 6-10 season. You doubled the win total. But the truth of the matter is you weren't very good. Um, but now you've got a chance in prime time against Tom Brady in a playoff game as a division champion. And, you know, there's something to build on that. Look, I, I, I've said all along, I'm not one that prefers that would in this situation. Last year's different. They didn't have a chance to make the playoffs. You, you've got to try to win. 
you got to try to be in these situations. That game Sunday night, the game against Carolina, the game against Seattle, these games have been very important. You know, they have felt like must-win games. It's been, I think they're very important experiences for these players to have. And I think winning Sunday night and playing in a game in a in a build-up to a national playoff, primetime playoff game against Tom Brady, I'd much rather this team be going through this then be home at 5 and 11 or 6 and 10 and we would be talking about yeah they doubled their win total and there's a lot of promise defensively but let's be honest they were 6 and 10 and if they don't find a quarterback they're going to continue to be 6 and 10 cuz that's what the conversation would be and by the way if they lose Saturday night you know which i think they might um, I think part of the conversation will be they were seven and nine. If they don't find a quarterback, they're going to continue to be seven and nine, and they're going to waste a really good defense. You know, or well, that's a, and that's a legitimate part of the conversation. Yeah, or they're going to be at best like what the Houston Texans were with Bill O'Brien: great defense, no quarterback before Deshaun Watson. You know, nine and seven is the best you can do in a playoff loss every year which, by the way, would be such a massive improvement over what we've had. Can you imagine? I mean, I don't know what Bill O'Brien, I don't have his record in front of me, but he went to the playoffs at least four times in like six years, right? You know, and it was always basically nine and seven and with a really good defense and without a quarterback. Tom Savage and other people he was playing at quarterback. Here's Here it is. Um, here, here was Bill O'Brien in Houston, and, and I'm bringing it up because in so many ways – I know it's you know not what anybody wants, but if you told me this is this were these were his first six years nine and seven no playoffs nine and seven playoffs nine and seven nine and seven division winner playoffs nine and seven division winner playoffs then he went four and twelve then eleven and five division winner playoffs ten and six division winner playoffs he won two playoff games. Um, in that stretch, he was two and four in the postseason. That would qualify around here as massive success for any coach that's, that produces that. That's a parade around FedEx Field. It is. It's a lot of banners. Yes. Anyway, uh, what else you got? I got nothing else. Just living a good life. All right. Enjoy the weather, and we will talk Thursday, and we'll you know preview and get your prediction of the playoff game. Okay, boss. All right. Uh, Chris Cooley up next after this word from one of our sponsors. All right. uh, Cooley is here with me, and we will do Cooley's film breakdown of the offense from the win over Philadelphia. But uh, as uh, is the case um, every once in a while, uh, between the radio show and the podcast, and sometimes between Tommy on the podcast and Cooley on the podcast, there's news. And there's news here that just broke during Ron Rivera's press conference um, on Tuesday with the beat reporting uh, crew. He mentioned that he is seriously looking at the possibility of rotating Alex Smith and Taylor uh, Taylor Heineke against the Buccaneers in a playoff game on Saturday night. Something that you actually threw out there yesterday is a possibility. Um, I first of all, if he's really not planning on doing this, I love that he said this. 
I, I would like to have heard him say it to hear the tone, to see any of the uh, and hear any of the follow up conversation. But I'm just reading the reports on Twitter, and because if if he's not serious about this, it's a great thing just to throw out there for old Todd Bowles to have to you know prepare for two quarterbacks. And, and contemplate, well, where would he use Alex? Where would he use Heineke? Well, you know, would, are they going to alternate play-by-play? I will tell you, the, the, the Cooley, the alternating, I don't know that it's ever been done in a playoff game, but I believe that Roger Staubach and Craig Morton, Tom Landry's Cowboys of the early 70s, I think they may have alternated play-for-play in the regular season, I know that's for sure. I don't know if that also happened in the postseason and in the Super Bowl that they ultimately um, won. Um, what do you make of this? Do you think he's serious? And if he is serious, would you approve? I think I would approve in a fashion that maybe I suggested yesterday, but not per se in a way that you think about just alternating quarterbacks. Certainly not in different situations within any given drive, right? That's what Landry Unless you really did. didn't think Heineke could get a, th- a third and four. And so now Alex runs out for the third and four, and here we go. Um, which I, maybe there's something to that. But the, what I suggested to you yesterday was Alex starts the game, and if he can move and play a little bit and he gets into any kind of a rhythm, then he can stay in the game. If Tampa's defense is dictating the pressure that Philadelphia got last week and really minimizing Alex from moving in the pocket and throwing anything short and underneath, then you're limiting the potential of your offense. And we'll get to that with the film breakdown, but that's where Heineke may come in. And then I think you see what Heineke can do against Tampa Bay (laughs) <laughs> I guess you hope you don't get yourself too far out of the game. And if Heineke can't get it done, then you could go back to Alex. Understanding that your offense with Alex Smith right now is about 40% of what your offense can be. That's I think that's the biggest problem with playing Alex is that it's not his understanding of offense. It's his capability of moving enough, buying time, and running offense that you're going to be limited to to 40% of offense. Like, he was having a hard time staying alive long enough for receivers to develop getting down the field. Now, his protection wasn't good either, but you're so limited. Sounds like we've got an interesting film uh, breakdown coming up. It's not as bad. I'm just going to give you this. It's not as bad as you think. I don't. I didn't think it was that bad. I told you that yesterday. Uh, I, you know, you you made the point of saying I didn't text you uh, during that game to say pull Alex, and I didn't think Alex should be pulled. I did. I thought it was night and day compared to the 49ers first half, in which I was saying, oh boy, this isn't good at all. Um, you know, he, he was still accurate, even though he lacked mobility, he still moved the team enough. See, here's the, the, the whole, first of all, I just looked it up. Staubach and, and Morton for you old timers like me 
alternated plays in a game in 1971. Landry literally brought, you know, took, you know, said to Staubach, all right, here's the play, you go in, Morton would come out, and then Morton would go in with the play, and they alternated plays. Um, they alternated series many times, and they definitely both played in a lot of playoff games, including the year that they went to the Super Bowl and won it, uh, including the year they went to the Super Bowl and lost it, too. Anyway, um, I digress. Um, I don't want Taylor Heineke, who is, <clears throat> for all intents and purposes, for my knowledge, a 27-year-old college student who had a bunch of exams that he had to get rescheduled, courtesy of the professor saying, oh, you can play in, in, on an NFL team that's vying for a playoff spot? Yeah, you go do that. We will handle rescheduling your final exams for you. I don't want Taylor Heineke on the field unless it's absolutely necessary against Todd Bowles and the Buccaneers in the playoffs. I know what Alex Smith is right now, okay? And for those of you that don't really know what Alex Smith is, Alex Smith is basically, even though he's a 5-1 and quarterback as a starter this year, he is one of the least productive starting quarterbacks of any starting quarterback in the NFL. Okay, he is near the bottom or even outside of the top 32 in a lot of statistical categories. He is not on the field a, a, a quarterback that is producing anything relating to dynamic quarterback play. Let's all understand that. Like, I would even say to you, I bet you Taylor Heineke could pretty much produce uh, football-wise on the field what Alex Smith can produce right now. With that said, Alex Smith is providing Alex, Alex Smith is providing That's so much more. Key. What? I said football wise is the key. And you're going to get into that. Well, it's just that there's something else that Alex Smith is bringing to the table here that is allowing the offense to operate at a professionally competent level for much of the time that he's been in there. Not every single game. You know, obviously he was compromised against the 49ers. That was a a terrible half of football. When he came in against the Rams, terrible. Um, but when he came in against the Giants in the second half when Kyle Allen got hurt, he was productive. He was very good against the Lions. Not very good. I thought he was exceptional against the Lions. It was a shocking performance for me against the Lions, what Alex Smith did in that game. He threw for nearly 400 yards. He was mobile. I was like, oh my God, I was dead wrong. Because remember, it was about a week earlier, I had suggested that they release him. You know, the Bengals game was fine. The Cowboys game was very productive. I know the defense did a lot in that game, um, but they moved the football. They had points, and a lot of them, even before the de defense started turning him over and scoring. Pittsburgh, the second half, he was outstanding in the second half of that football game. Um, but there have been moments, obviously, where you're like, oh my God, he's got to be the worst quarterback or the most conservative quarterback or the least capable quarterback of any I see in the entire NFL every time I watch. But there's something else, Cooley, intangibles. He knows the offense. He's a veteran. He sees it before it happens. There's some sort of level of confidence that I think the rest of the team has with Alex Smith out there. And by the way, it sort of goes hand in hand, if you will. <clears throat> Let me see if I can describe this. With who they are as a team, they're resilient. 
they're against all odds right now. The coach had cancer. The organization is a mess. Alex Smith was nearly dead two years ago, almost had his leg amputated, and now he's playing. Um, You know, they're a plucky little bunch. You know, they're talented on defense, um, but they're 2-7, and and here they come. They didn't quit. And he is everything about that. Everything about them being in this playoff game Saturday night is about Alex Smith. Now, if you told me that Kyle Allen was available to play, that would be different. And I would put aside sort of the 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 um, the talk about uh, resilience and and all of the idioms related to being perse- you know persevering in the whole thing, and I would say no, Kyle Allen's just going to give you a much better chance to win, and so I'll go with Kyle Allen. But Taylor Heineke, are you kidding me? I'm not alternating for anything unless he is really hurt, like he was in the 49er game. But Kev, you you know nothing about. Taylor Heineke. I don't. I, I agree not, with that. Not a thing. You you don't know that much more about Kyle Allen. Yeah, I do. You saw him for a week and a half. You, you, you don't know that much. He played for one season in Carolina. He had some good, he had some ups. He had some downs. His his performance against Washington last year in Carolina was horrific. I know they this. They should have benched him in that game. I know this. They traded a fifth rounder for Kyle Allen. They didn't do that for Taylor Heineke. They didn't even sign him until they were desperate. So they, <laughs> th- their actions tell you Kyle Allen's a lot better than Taylor Heineke. But Taylor, but Kyle Allen well for the Saint, He played pretty well for the St. Louis Battlehawks. <laughs> Kyle Allen's not an option. I'm just telling you that they are here. Whether Alex Smith has not been a good quarterback necessarily, he's been he he. But what he's done, he's been able to do, and basically. They are what they are. They, they're trying to move the sticks. They're throwing checkdowns. They're throwing bubbles. They're running the ball a little bit. Every once in a while, they'll try to push it downfield, but they can't even do that right now because they don't have Terry McLaurin. They know who they are, and Alex Smith is the best option right now at continuing to be what they are. They're not going to be anything different. Taylor Heineke is not going to start throwing bombs. Who's he going to throw them to? The only thing he, he might provide throw, he is might be mobility. able to throw a ball down the field. There might be, there might, might be a point in this game where you have to throw the ball down the field. <laughs> well, then you can bring him in. I, I, Alex Smith, you know how many th- balls he threw over 15 yards? One. Four over 15. He threw one over 20. Oh my God. He didn't even look to throw the ball over 20 yards. Do you like the idea? Yeah, I mean, you're just. What if I he's don't... serious? I don't know who Taylor Heineke is. Right. They do, I guess. Or maybe they're just concerned. I, about I can't say that I hate the idea. I, you know what I loved? I love Taylor Heineke in a drive and a half. <laughs> okay. Here we go. Fire it up against Tampa Bay. Let's bench old reliable for a minute. And then let's, let's see what old Heineke can do. Oh, Heineke wasn't good this draft. Alex, get on back in there. Alex wasn't very good this draft. Heineke, you're back up. And then are we going to have two different offensive systems for for both different quarterbacks? Well, you wouldn't have to with those two. No, I know you don't have to, but you're going to there's a different set of play design that you're going to have to operate with Alex. There's some stuff that they can do with Alex that I think they could have done a better job against Philadelphia with. That if you were to go in same game plan, Tampa Bay's going to take advantage of you. I I guess what I was saying is it's obvious that 
you know, the, after watching uh, Dwayne one more time, they're like, look, Taylor at least knows the offense. He can at least operate the offense. You know, we don't have to have a different, you know, look or, or the same look with it not being run the right way. I here, look, if Alex is capable of playing, there's no question whatsoever what I do. And when I mean capable, if he's not pretty hurt, I'm going down with the ship with Alex. This is the Alex Smith season. Alex was the savior of the season. It's the underdog season. It's the Alex Rivera story. It's all based around Alex, his leadership, who he is, what he does. There are so many intangibles, and in part, it just surrounds the passion that I, I think Alex provides and the spark that he provides for this team. So I don't know if they'll rotate quarterbacks. Maybe the idea that they're going to rotate quarterbacks is a sign that Alex, you really can't make it through a full game. Like I suggested yesterday, he's a reliever. He's going to give you three innings. It's just you can put him back in the game. Right. Yeah, you, it's not soccer or baseball. You can actually put him back in. You're in a third and five or less and out trucks out trots Alex Smith. It's just how does Alex handle that? Can he stay in rhythm that way? See, can he operate that way? I don't what's interesting I don't, about that. I think it's the, tough. The third and five or I want my mobility on third down. Uh, yeah, I hear you. But I also like Alex's ability to get the ball out quick to McKissick and True. Convert for a one, just one yard above, <laughs> you know, get six on a third and five. He's been good at that. Really good at that. Really good at that. Can I mention one thing? Cause I don't want to lose this thought. Uh, Cause I didn't say this to you yesterday, but I'm looking forward to your show, you, buddy. We, uh, no, it's, it's ours today. Um, when you're on, uh, the empty set stuff wasn't nearly as good Sunday. Was it that it, that it was all year with Alex Smith? No. Well, the Eagles to a lot of the empty set stuff, especially in third downs and third downs early, just put five defensive linemen on the field and said, we're going to get after you, buddy. We know you can't move. We know you're not going to escape the pocket. We're going to come after you and we're not going to give the easy throw early. Right. Although he did get one to McKissick early. By the way, anybody that says, Hey, Sheehan, Cooley, the saints do it with breeze and Taysom Hill. Um, no, no, they don't. <laughs> first of all, they, they, that's not really – it's Taysom not Hill even plays close. six plays a quarterback a game tops. Yeah, it's, not a, it's not apples to apples. Taysom Hill is a read option running, by the way, 240-pound you know, running back uh, at, when he's in there. Um, anyway. Uh, it's I, a nice play if they're not going to do it because you can say this is our zone read package. This is some of our run action stuff package where now you, you're trying to get Bruce Arians and Tampa Bay and Bulls to have to prepare for, okay, well, what if we can't just rush to a spot where we know that quarterback's going to be stuck at? What if we do have to create other packages? You give them something else to think about on a short week. I totally agree. Like, if this was, uh, I mean, if this was something that was intentional, apparently it's the first thing he said in the press conference. I need to go back and listen to it because I didn't listen to it. I'm just reading the quotes. But it was the first thing that, that he said. If this was an intentional thing on his part, smart. Because, you know, first of all, they don't know a lot about Taylor Heineke. So the prospect of Heineke being the quarterback is going to put them into, you know, we got to prepare for the other guy. 
you know, they're going to, you know, in many ways, they're going to have to prepare for the other guy anyway after watching what they watched last week if you're Tampa because you going in know there's a chance that Alex Smith either won't play or he won't finish. So you've got to prepare for that anyway. So maybe it didn't provide a lot of, um, you know, additional preparation because my guess is, is that Todd Bowles is preparing for both of them anyway, don't you think? Yeah, I think he's preparing for both of them. And I do think that if you really – Unless it was just a complete play, if you were going to do it at all, you get Heineke in early for a couple things, just so Bulls is going to sit there and say, "Are they really going to do this?" Right. Because if <clears throat> Alex is going to play four drives and there's no Heineke, at least at least if you're not going to put him in, warm him up on the bench in between possessions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man, Heineke's over here warming up, throwing BBs. Yeah. You know, I just, I, it's so funny how, and I just think it's really important, you you know, for those of us that are watching rather than just, you know, every once in a while turning it on and then having an opinion. But if you watch, like most of you do, every play of every game, just how much your opinion can change about people in the course of an NFL season. The NFL is truly just such an unpredictable league. I mean, there are obviously things that are very predictable, but the the Alex Smith season is just incredible to me. I mean, our first first of all, nobody thought he would ever play again. The the reporting was that he was never going to play again. And then we see him when Kyle Allen gets hurt in the Rams game after they demoted, uh, you know, Haskins to third string from starter to third string. And he comes into the game and Aaron Donald basically jumps on his back and falls on him. And he has what could have been, you know, very could have, it very much could have been both qualitatively and quantitatively the worst NFL half for a quarterback in NFL history. I know that there are probably worse ones. I've never seen a worse one. I've never seen what the, what happened against the Rams in that half. You know, it was like with with uh, the, with their possessions. I think it was something like seven possessions, zero first downs, you know, uh minus 2 yards passing or whatever it was. It was just so awful. It was it was just brutal. He was sacked if I recall Cooley six times and a half and had like a 3.2 QBR. <laughs> and I and I and I'm like, oh my God! Okay, we've seen enough. That's it. We don't need to see any more. And remember, the next week, Kyle Allen was ready to go, and he played against the Giants and played against the Cowboys, and then got hurt against the Giants. And here came here came Alex again. And this time, Alex played pretty well. He threw a bunch of interceptions, but he also led him back, and they had chances. And then. The Detroit game, to me, is still maybe – well, it is. It was the best quarterback game of the year by any Washington quarterback. I'm pulling it up right now because I want to remember it exactly. Um, Because they fell behind, remember, 24-3. to And Alex brings them back. He brings them back. 38-55, of 390 yards he had in the game. All right? Um, He – he led them from a 24-3 deficit to a 27-27 tie. Amazing. 
And they should have went, and they probably win the game if Chase Young doesn't end up with a 15 yard penalty to put Prater in range for right. the 59 yard field goal or whatever it was. Um, and now here's here, the other thing. Here's the other thing to think about. Yeah. Because if you think through, if you really think it through, there, any form of health, healthy Alex Smith, you, you just you have to play him. There's no decision here. None. We both agree on that. I do. We do. And Rivera didn't say he was going to do it. He just said it was something he had to think about. He was seriously considered. But what if you were thinking about, okay, let's play the game. This is the playoffs in the NFL. Anything can happen. But you know as a coach, your quarterback cannot make it four games. Can't. You're saying he got us this far. <laughs> this is this. We've rode this horse to the end of the trail and we got 20 miles left. Like he might make it a little bit, but we got to get Heineke in there because he's probably going to have to play. If we win, it might end up being Heineke for a couple games because I don't think Alex can do it. Let's rotate him in for two or three <laughs> series. So we get him some relevant playoff looks. It's funny. Because- Honestly, what if Alex can't finish the season? It's funny because this conversation just keeps reminding me of other comps, and they're not identical comps by any stretch of the imagination. But Joe Gibbs, you know, at the end of the 1987 season against the Minnesota Vikings in the season finale, um, Jay Schrader wasn't, wasn't getting it done, and he brings Doug Williams off the bench, and Doug Williams brings him back, and they beat the Vikings in overtime. They go to the playoffs, and he names Doug the starter, and he basically has said it many times. I didn't think Jay Schrader could lead us to a Super Bowl. I thought Doug could, but Jay had been the starter. You know, Jay was the name starter. He was the the starter at the beginning of the year, and Doug played and started some games when Jay was hurt. But really, you know, it wasn't until the season finale, and Joe Gibbs always said, I just had a hunch. I just had a hunch. And the the other part about that offseason, very interestingly enough, George Rogers was the, you know, was the leading rusher. He was their primary back. And then in the playoffs, Joe Gibbs decides to go with Timmy Smith, who had not really played at all in the regular season. I mean, you really didn't even know who Timmy Smith was, you know, in, in that particular year. And he comes in and he ends up having a Super Bowl record 204 yards. And and but but he had, but he came in in the playoffs like he didn't even play in the regular season barely Cooley, he was barely a regular season performer. George Rogers and Kelvin Bryant were the backs, and Gibbs gets a hunch, and he goes with Timmy Smith. He goes with fresh legs and Timmy Smith, and he did that also with Ricky Irvins to a certain degree in 1991, not to the same extent. I mean Timmy Smith, who was nobody knew who he was at the end of the regular season, nobody really knew who he was. And here he comes, and I, I just pulled it up because I wanted to. I want to make sure I'm right about this. First playoff game against Chicago. All right. First of all, the regular season, Timmy Smith did in a game in late December have 11 carries against the Dolphins in relief. But for the for the season, he had 29 carries for the entire season. That was it. 
And here he comes, 16 carries, 66 yards against the Bears in the in the famous game where Daryl Green had the punt return to win it at Soldier Field in brutally cold temperatures. NFC title game against the Vikings at RFK, 13 carries, 72 yards. And then in Super Bowl, <clears throat> in Super Bowl 22 against the Denver Broncos, your Denver Broncos, 22 carries, 204 yards, Super Bowl record, two touchdowns. I mean, so. You know, there is precedent for, ah, we're going to go with this guy. And, and Landry, I'm telling you, the Staubach-Morton thing was always interesting during those years. You know, Landry went with Staubach in the NFC Championship game against Washington in 72, but he had started Morton in the playoff game against the 49ers the week before. Now, Staubach came into that game and, and brought him back uh, to win it. But I don't, but we're talking about Taylor Heineke here in the quarterback. Doug Williams was a proven veteran, a guy that had been and taken the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to the NFC Championship game as their starting quarterback. This is Taylor Heineke. He was taking derivatives classes and final exams a few weeks ago at Old Dominion. Come on. Alex Smith, unless he can't walk. No, Alex Smith, if he's at least as healthy as he was last week. If he isn't what he was, if he if he is what he was against the 49ers, then I'm fine with them going with Heineke. I don't want alternating. I want Alex. I want him to live or die. Uh, and I want old Yeller to live for at least a, at least a half before they put him out to pasture. Because Cooley, if he plays and then is benched, it's over. Like, I mean, and they lose. That's it. We're not going to see Alex Smith next year. By the way, that's my new prediction. He's not going to play next year because he's not going to choose to play. I can see that. I think, true. Gonna, I think he's going to retire. Taylor Heineke. Can you imagine? Look at the gear. If he ends up playing and having any success here in the playoffs, he went in 2020 from being the backup quarterback behind Nick Fitzgerald for the St. Louis Battlehawks. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. To being the starting quarterback for the Washington football team. In a playoff game. In a against, playoff game. Against Todd Bowles in that defense. No Devin White, but still that defense. And one of the more aggressive defensive coordinators. Maybe, you know, who knows? Maybe Bowles coming after Alex. Maybe they will throw the ball down the field. By the way, I would do that early. I'd take a couple shots. Why not? <clears throat> um what well, else? Oh, why would you? They're not going to give him shots. Why not? I wouldn't give Alex any shots I, because I, I want him to. If he's got any shot down the field, I want to take that away by leverage right now. I want to tell him you got to get to two to three while you do whatever you're trying to do in the pocket. Because I know if you don't like it and you're going to try to flush, you're dead, dead meat. Don't you think that though they'll they're they're not going to respect the possibility of him throwing it deep? No. No what? They'll respect it. Okay. I think the difference here, the best comp if they want if they have a chance and Alex were to stay in the way he's playing is Peyton Manning when the Broncos won the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah. That's the best comp. Big time defense, leader, quarterback who knows what to do, how to operate an offense, is great situationally, knows when to take a sack, knows when to throw a ball away, knows how to handle things, but can't make. The difference is Peyton couldn't throw it 30 yards down the field. Alex got a live arm. 
Alex can still get the ball down the field. I don't want to give him that opportunity. That's interesting. I want to make him earn it because I want to say at any point on this check down type drive, we're going to hit you in the mouth. That's that's an interesting point, and it may, it rings true to me that Alex actually can throw the ball down the field. Peyton, that last year, he couldn't throw a deep ball. Not with his shoulder, he couldn't, uh-uh. especially, especially as he got to that playoff stretch. He was spent. And that's what Alex is. The, the, Alex is spent right now. All right. Um, let's, let's get to your film breakdown right after this word from one of our sponsors. We're going in-depth, play-by-play. The Cooley Film Breakdown. Here's Cooley and Kevin. I, I just love that I'm doing this film breakdown pre-playoff game. I know. How many years did we get to week 17 and go, oh, no, scrap the film breakdown, we're done. Oh, my God, that's so true. So almost every year that I've been doing this, one, once, right? No, twice. No, once. No, once. Once. Well, only the one year with Kirk Cousins winning the division in Philly did we actually do a film breakdown going into the playoffs. Right, and you're right about you're right about the years that they didn't make the playoffs, which was every other year when you were doing film breakdown because you didn't, yeah, um, that we got to the final week and you were just like, I don't want to do the film breakdown, and nobody wants to hear the film breakdown. <laughs> Whatever the season, actually, I think maybe the, the when they lost to the Giants, you may have done it um, when they had the game to, to to make the playoffs and they lost to the Giants. Maybe we did offense or something or quarterback, but yeah. it's really cool that we get to do this. Uh, start with a couple thoughts offensively. One, they can run the ball. They they can run it. They have a good line. If Gibson's healthy, there's something there. They ran the ball late in that ball game. Gibson had a couple carries right. where they were effective running the football. They can run it. They can line up under center. Their second and third tight end really don't help them run the ball at all in Bond Sprinkle, but they can do it. And Gibson is a good gap scheme, tight zone inside make some jump cuts bounce it outside type runner and he's getting a better feel for some outside zone stuff they can run the ball they did not run the ball enough in this philadelphia game early in the game right and my thought was you don't have to get to your run action stuff right now they have one good run in the first half i think gibson bounced one for 11 next play run action pass you're like, come on. They're not buying it yet. Your run game is like you're, it's a 25% of your game in the last few weeks. It's not there. Right. Not enough to say you better walk them up now because you ran it. Well, this isn't Madden because you ran it once. You're like game set up to now go play action. They computer's going to fall for it. They're not going to fall for it until you run it on them. Tampa's going to play soft shell coverage. They're going to play off until you truly show we're running on you. The thing is, is they can run it on them. They struggled in the first half of this game. Philly stunted a lot, and they had a lot of blitzes in first and second down situations. And they struggled with some of their tight zone stuff, giving up penetration into the backfield. That didn't help them 
in terms of running the football. And then they struggled with some negative plays. Like they ran a little fly sweep to McKissick that didn't time up right, and he takes a three-yard loss. And now all of a sudden you're in second 13. You're probably out of running the football. But, Kev, I think with Gibson – some of that gap scheme stuff, some of the power type stuff where you have a kick out and a lead blocker, he sees it well. And he's got the speed, if nothing's inside, to do that little jump cut and bounce to the outside and make some guys miss, make some things happen. They can run it. They didn't do it enough. They didn't they do it also, enough against I Carolina. Think early, they, they, I think their no. chances against Carolina would have been much better. Much better. Gibson's a pretty good runner. Yeah. They should have done it more. Um, but stunts and blitzes killed him on early down and distance situations. That's to me, I'm sitting here watching this film of this game. I'm watching the regular television copy and you're like, it's hard to run it when you're giving up edge pressures and guys coming off both sides that aren't defensive linemen. And there is no cut, but if you're going to, try to go five, six man pressures on a lot of first and 10 situations. I'm going to screen you to death, right? You can't just blitz me. You can't go five, six man pressures and stunt and then stunt your defensive line and think I'm not going to screen the hell out of you. When you stunt a defensive lineman, he doesn't have that natural sense that he's not getting blocked. He thinks he won on a stunt. So that's where you get to some more of those screens. Like the first drive of the game. Say that, say that again, what you just said about a, a you stunt a defensive lineman, like a D tackle. Right. They're taking a step down hard, crossing the face of the first offensive lineman that's over them. Right. They don't know they're not getting blocked at that point. They think they won. Okay. If you go straight rush, two step two steps and then the offensive lineman kind of throws them by or lets them go. That's where they get that feeling of, Oh, something's up. Got it. When they stunt, they don't get that feeling. And Philly had so many stunts and twists and stuff up front that you could have screened them more. They had a good screen early in the game to Logan Thomas. Yeah. Finally got one of those Y screens. That's, Stay with that. That's interesting. Don't That's be afraid a, in first and second down situations to screen. Such a great. Um, it's really. Uh, I, I mean, I. I just. I think when you really um, do this stuff, sometimes I'm just blown away at how easy it is to sort of envision. You know, everybody that watches football knows that. You know, the normal screen where they just let the D linemen come up the field. A D lineman, if they're just letting them come up the field, they're going to feel it and they're going to read it sometimes, and sometimes they're going to be able to make a play on it. But if they're stunting, the the natural stunt feeling of a D lineman is that they're not getting blocked anyway, so they're not going to react to screen because of not getting blocked or, or, or getting penetration. And so why don't teams, Cooley, and maybe they do, why don't they run more screen against five-man stunting defensive lines? You never know when you're going to get a stunt. Well, that's That's, true. That's one thing about it. But in first and second down in the first half of this game, I was, if you're following along, like sitting in a booth charting following along, you got to be saying, 
Yeah, there's so much going on up front, and they're bringing nickel nickel backs off the edge, and they're walking linebackers to the line of scrimmage. And when you start to see that, you start to know. Like, and good coordinators and good play callers and people that watch ball, they get tells in games when you get these blitzes. Like, let's just say, for example, I'll try to walk you through this. They got one safety in the middle of the field, and their normal coverage is cover three. In that cover three, just look at the slot receiver for Washington. Normally in the cover three, and this is an example, their nickel would have a head up to outside alignment. But if he overhangs to the inside a little bit and there's two blitzes out of that, you would say, hey, look, if we get overhang, we got blitz pressures. Right. So you can key a lot of these things off nickel alignment and say, look, let's, let's, what's, what's wrong with going, Hey, 22 running back screen for, I won't get further than that. Let's go running back screen and let's go check with me three-step drop or check with me regular run. Now let's go to the line and he looks and he doesn't have the overhang. So he says, Hey, kill, 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 kill the screen. Let's just go with the run. We're not going to get a run blitz here on first down. We like our run look. Now all of a sudden you check screen that nickel starts creeping, starts looking. You go, we're good, we're good, we're good. And we run the screen. When you, you say get the when screen into the blitz look, there's there's some things I think they could do with some more nuisance plays and some more screen plays and some more creativity in first and second down situations. Uh, and they were doing, they did a lot of that earlier in the year. You know, I, I think about some of those games where they had, you know, I don't know if nuisance is the right way to describe it. I know what you're talking about, but where. You know, the intent was just to get it out quickly, get it to, to a playmaker, get it to him close to the line of scrimmage and see if he could make four or five yards. Yeah. And then if it doesn't work out, you're saying to that D coordinator, keep blitzing on first down. I'm going to keep calling it. I'm going to get you in one of them. You're giving them a reason to not bring pressures in certain situations. You're giving them a tendency to say, you bring this pressure and I screen into it. You're, you're in trouble. Right. So I think there's, <clears throat> there's some of that that they could do. Okay. Um, All right. And, and you think they can run the ball and they should try. To and I think the they can run the ball and I think they can run the ball from, from under center with some gap scheme stuff. I, I think that they've been effective running some of the gap scheme stuff. I also thought that throughout the early part of the game, they didn't get to enough wide zone type of stuff. There was a wide zone carry that Gibson had for maybe 13 in the third or fourth quarter later in the game. Yeah. He bounced it out to the right. Mm -hmm. You're like, we can get that stuff, but they ran so much tight, tight zone stuff so you're trying to cut in between the tackles with no real intent of going hard to the edge now you could bounce outside but no real intent of going hard to the edge but when you're getting a bunch of stunts and stuff up front it is so hard to stay between the tackles sometimes got it they didn't do a great job picking them up either i will say that but some more run versatility, especially early in the ballgame, with more resilience to committing to the run game, I think would be effective for them. But also some more creativity in first and second down situations after drive one. Okay, I'm going to give Turner a lot of credit for that first drive because you get the Sims reverse. That's a fun play. You get the Logan Thomas screen. That's a good play. And you've mixed in a couple tendency break type deals. You said, okay, now you got to pay attention to our receiver running behind us. All right, now you got to pay attention to our tight end on a screen. Right. But they didn't get back to it. Not right. nearly enough. Yeah.
Um, but can I just mention one quick thing? You know what his father, Norv, was famous for? The opening drive of every game. I'm telling you, Cooley, when he was the head coach here, the opening drive of every game would – look, they haven't scored on an opening drive with Scott Turner all year. I understand that. But when you said that about the opening drive on, on, on Sunday night, which was perfection, 91 yards, 15 plays, eight minutes, lots of mixes of different things, and you get a touchdown in the red zone on third and goal. Norv Turner, I swear to God, I'd like to go look this up. Maybe somebody will do the, the research for me. How many times did Norv Turner's Washington offense come out and just go right down the field and score a touchdown for a 7 nothing lead? And then it was the rest of the game that was the problem. But, man, was he good at scheming up those first 15. I think it was Bill Walsh yeah. that was the first coach to actually script right. the first 15 or 20 plays of a game. Yep. But the, maybe you have an idea of one or two ways a defense can go and you have a, another couple scripts. Yeah. A lot of coaches, everyone I played for, script the first drive of the second half. We would go in with a scripted second half, and that was an adjustment script. It, but just being able to run through some of those scripts I like as a player because you get a sense for if when we run this, this is next. Right. And how certain things set up. Um, I don't know. I think that there's got to be a little bit better feel for what the defensive front's giving you, especially when you don't have the ability to get over the top. You got to find ways. If you can't get over the top, you got to find ways. The, you got to understand they know that you're not getting down the field often either. Like, so here's we're getting to Alex right now. And this is, this is a part of it. If Washington went with a three man side to one side and one on the backside, a lot of times that backside guy runs a 15 yard dig route. One of the best quarterbacks I've seen at getting that is your friend, Kirk cousins, right. go one, two, reset his feet. Even sometimes moving backwards awkwardly and he'd throw that 15 yard dig. And if you think about it as a Washington fan, Pierre Garcon, how many third downs did he catch that backside dig over the ball? Kirk was so good at getting to that. Philadelphia basically said, we're not going to cover it. We'll let it free to the middle of the field, but we know you're not going to get back to it. Why? Because he, one, didn't have time, and two, just couldn't buy the time. Right. Okay. Alex Smith. Film breakdown. To start all of this, I just I can't impress how much Kev he understands the situation that he's in. Lack of mobility. And it's got to be hard for him. Yeah, it's got to be hard for him to know. I can't make this play. Right. And I think even instinctually, his instincts initially take over to what he's done to be able to flush out to the right. And then he realizes, okay. no, no, they're tracking me quick. He had four or five throw throwaways in this game that he did a, an excellent job just getting the ball back to the line of scrimmage, realizing there's nothing I can do here. He did a very good job with that. Secondly, he does an outstanding job at the line of scrimmage. He had three times he drew him off sides. Right. Including the fourth and one at the end of the game, which I do think was a no snap, no play. You do you do, you think they were going to punt it? Yep. Okay. Yeah, I think it was no snap, no play. He draws him off sides. Um, 
I do. I told you a while ago. It's there's something funny he says when he runs his cadence. His cadence is set white eighty, but it sounds like he says, "I said white 80. <laughs> I said white eighty. Right. I said white eighty. That's how. That's how he's. I listened to the game closer this time and figured it out. I thought he was good with the ball placement on almost all his throws underneath. I thought his ball placement was actually really good. He threw where guys weren't going to get into blow up shots. He threw where guys could go get the ball for the most part on shorter throws. I thought ball placement was really good. The big time throws, you know, a couple third downs were huge. And even though they're not, high level evaluation type throws you know, the quickness to get to McKissick on that first third and eight or third and nine those are big plays in this game yeah you know, like third and ten to cam sims down there on that first drive he's wide open but still we're delivering a ball and it's a big throw <clears throat> the throw to terry mclaurin in the end zone is as good a ball as it gets that's a a massive massive throw the, th- the touchdown to Logan Thomas, oh. we-, we talked about that a week ago and maybe it was with Dwayne on an overthrow of Logan Thomas where we said, you got to just throw it at the back of the head of the linebacker who's going to try to turn and run with the vertical route. It was at the end of the Seattle game when they took that shot on first down to the end zone and he threw it behind him. Threw it so over the top yeah, where no one could get it. Right. And now you look at Logan Thomas at six foot six who can go up and get a ball and say, throw it just right at the back of the head of that backer, maybe a little bit high. He has no chance. And that's exactly what Alex Smith did. That was huge. You know, he made a big throw to Terry McLaurin, backed up on a run action pass, really quick action with it, gets him out from backed up, like six, seven yard gain there, eight yeah, yard that gain. Was from on their that, four yard line after they went the four the yard line. Four, when Philly failed on the fourth and four. Quit getting that thing out. That's big. Um, I thought he had, it was a good throw to third on a third and four to McKissick that was dropped. And you're talking about ball placement. I loved where he put that ball where McKissick was going to get the low. first down. But he, he should have caught that ball. Damn right he should have. They were on the move on that drive, too. They were they had some stuff going. You know, he, he, back to the first half a little bit, on a third and six, he ends up hitting Sims over the middle. That, at the end of the first half. At the end of the first half. There was a minute 15 left in the first half. It, it's not a great ball. The ball's way late and behind him. But it's enough. He knows he's wide open, so he gives him an easy ball to catch. Do think Alex throws a really catchable ball. Threw a bunch of underneath little stick routes to Terry McLaurin, little flat routes to McKissick, little spot routes to Sims. They did give him some throws underneath, and for the most part, he made those throws. Like if you look underneath, he, he was he was really accurate in this game. You know, one thing I did notice, and I went back and counted again. And this is something that they're going to have to think about. And I don't know if it's Alex's leg or not on throws between five and 10 yards. There were 13 of them to the middle of the field or to Alex's right. There was one to his left. Hmm. He did not throw the ball to the left side of the field. Why would that be? I don't know. Could have been a product of alignment formation Darius Slay some some of the things the Eagles no, I were doing you were suggesting it was the 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 injury I could have been the injury 
the negative for Alex Smith. He's not looking downfield long enough or at all in early down and distance situations in this game. And I totally understand why. One, Philly was a little bit soft. And two, he wanted the ball out right now. He knew he couldn't survive it. But you got to look downfield so you can pull underneath coverage off of your shorter routes, even if it's a half a second, even if it's just one good hard look down the field. Got to do a better job with that. Um, some of the missed opportunities early in the game, I thought he threw a little swing outside to Cam Sims on a run action pass. Right now it was a tackle for one or for no gain. Just reset your feet and look over the ball. Sprinkle was sitting over, over the ball right there. Again, these are all products of him knowing it's just got to come out. And I'm not really faulting that. The third and seven, he threw to Terry McLaurin on the second drive of the game that ends up a five-yard gain. Yeah, short, but, but better field goal range. Good ball placement to not get Terry blown up. But what they're doing, they're running a crossing route with Sims, who's the collector trying to collect the first inside backer. And if the backer goes with him, then it's a bigger window for McLaurin following behind him. And nobody really follows Sims. Should have just went to Sims right there. Took a sack on a third and six in the third drive. He just can't reset his feet quick enough to throw over the ball. They tried to get a pick route with Logan Thomas to get McLaurin out in the flat, but it's covered. And that's the one where he trips on Brandon Sheriff. Right. And he was, Kev, a lot of times, like you could see he did not want to get depth in the pocket. He wanted no depth in the pocket because he knew he couldn't turn and flush. So he was tight to the line in the pocket. So any of these bull rushes started to impact him pretty quickly. Uh, there's a third and three takes a sack on the opening drive of the third quarter. This one's not a good – this was a missed opportunity. Uh, Cam Sims is open on a crosser in front of his face. He's actually trying to take a shot downfield in this third and three. Steven Sims is running in a wheel to his left. It's covered, but he's just got a reset to get to the over the ball here or the crossing route. Takes a sack right there. Um, and then there's a third and five in the third quarter where he ha- ends up having to throw away and they punt that he missed McKissick. This is 945 in the third quarter. I got it. He misses McKissick. Easy outside throw. You're like, what are we seeing here? He's looking at Logan Thomas, but why can't he get from one to two? And I just I think so many of these things just have, have to do with he knows if he has to move at all, he's, do, he's done. He didn't make a lot of terrible throws. I, he can't move much. The McKissick interceptions of high ball. It's a bad ball. That should have been caught. It shouldn't have been picked, but that's a bad ball. The interception to Logan Thomas, I have no problem with at all. What do you mean? I've watched it five times. If Logan Thomas is running a 10 to 12-yard out route, I'm not sure the depth he should be or what they're calling on it. A lot of times that's run at about eight yards. Logan Thomas has number 57, the backer inside of him set inside of him. If, and this ends up being a one-on-one situation, I want that ball thrown to me every single time. And I will tell that quarterback, 
I guarantee you I'll win here. I guarantee you I will win and I will not get undercut. And worst case scenario, I'll break this thing up. Logan rolls this thing, loses two to three yards, rolling it, trips and falls down. The backer undercuts it. He is trusting his dude to win one-on-one, and Logan Thomas loses definitively to give up that interception. I place that pick 100% on Logan. Oh, man. You're something else. If I, Logan comes this, flat out of that break, this is that is a completion. Uh, I'm not something else. You're the, you're the expert. And I'm going to defer to your expertise, okay? Um, and I know how critical and tough you are on tight ends. And you've been, by the way, much Could more be a comp- receiver or a running back the exact same way. Much, I'm talking about a 10-yard out route one-on-one. Much more undercut. complimentary about Logan Thomas than critical of Logan Thomas this year. You have been. But that ball's poorly thrown. Watch how – no, it's not. It's perfectly thrown. That's where Logan should be. He the, threw it where he expected him to be. Well, but he once he starts to, as you say, you know, roll it too much and and allow the the backer, balls out the backer to undercut uh, the ball, balls out at that point. Okay. You watch it, it just when you watch it go back and you can watch it again. Logan is not using any type of move at the top of that route, and he's drifting just a little bit right at the top to have this real big step under himself on a speed cut. It's a good play by the backer, and he definitely had a feel for where it was coming. But if you're Logan, if you just push that at that backer, just a step, just a step more towards the middle of the field, you're vertical, you sense that guy start to run with you, threaten him like you're going to go over the top, that you're going to go inside a little bit. Don't just drift to show the route. The only thing I would say to the quarterback is know your guy. But he's thrown to a guy he trusts. Um, just as a change of subject, but on the same play, this was the play that I told you yesterday that I really didn't like. And I felt that Scott Turner wasn't feeling the game at that moment because Gibson had ripped off a big run. I think it was the run you were talking about where he bounced it outside and it looked like they had something going. Philadelphia, you know, had already decided to bail because Sudfeld had thrown the interception. They were tanking. You, you basically, you know, you had a first down on a first down run. Then Gibson got three yards on the first down, and then they come back to that. How about let's line it up and run it right down their throat here because at least at least we can get into field goal range, you know, to make the lead six. Sudfeld's not going to score against us. I mean, they might fluke their way into field goal range. I just – I don't know why they, they ran that there. I, I hear you. I understand where you're coming from. I'm just telling you – I know what you're in, As a player who's ran that route, I know where that problem lies. Okay, so – And if I'm Turner, I'm saying I got what I wanted. Okay. I got my tight end, who I trust, with a matchup on a linebacker who's got to cover the middle of the field as well as the outbreak. Got leverage. He got the opportunity. So summarizing the two picks, the one that was intended for Logan Thomas was 100% Thomas's fault. The one to McKissick wasn't a great ball, but it shouldn't have been an interception. It should have been caught, and I agree with that. It was not a good ball, but McKissick needed to catch that. Um, McKissick didn't have a great game. I'll, I'll wait for your grade, but the drop on the third and four really hurt them. That was a big drop. Uh, but anyway, finish up on Alex. 
mean, the only other interesting thing with Alex is the one batted ball he throws right into a blitzer that almost, I mean, it's hard to pick, but look, the thing with Alex is he was accurate underneath. The ball was out with timing. I think it could have, he could have looked some things off and pushed some things deeper with some underneath stuff. My concern with Alex wasn't necessarily the operation of this game. He was a C to me in this game and it was a gutsy performance by Alex Smith, but it was also a limited offense in terms of what they had to operate. What about the play before the Logan Thomas touchdown? The one where Cam Sims is wide open in the end zone. Yeah, that. So I I forgot to explain that play. The corner ends up squatting on the out route to Logan Thomas. Yeah. There's some pressure on Alex. Again, he just wants it out. It's an awesome job by Alex Smith sensing at the last second that that corner is going to pick it and at least throwing it high and out of bounds. Oh, I see. Yeah, I'm watching that right now. But now he clearly missed. He still had time to throw it to Sims. Yeah. I mean, if he, he had still, time no. to re- if he had time to recognize that the corner was squatting and he was going to pick it so he threw it away, why well, did he just throw it to Sims? The squat, the squat of the corner occurred as the ball was in motion. Had he had, had he sat there for a quarter of a second more, his brain would have told him to throw the corner. Yeah. But he wants the ball out. So, yeah, he- yeah, I mean, like I just think there's some opportunities for them on the right side of the field to get some looks down the field, some of those corner outs and some of that stuff, because everybody's going to sit on those short outs. Yep. All right. See. I thought it was Smith. All right. Let's do the offensive line real quick here. Um, Morgan Moses, couple problems with some stunts, um, couple problems early in the game. One overreaching, getting too wide with his footwork, gave up on that play. We just talked about what was almost a quarterback hit, had a speed blitz off the edge with just a linebacker on that play. 49, who was 40, was 49, like a baller now. Yeah, they, play. Is, is that the guy, is that the guy like, single, the single or whatever? He was had he had a pretty good game. Yeah. They had a holding in the fourth quarter that every official and everyone in the building saw. Graham had a spin move and he decided he was just gonna yank him down on a run play. And you're like, Morgan, we're at the thirty-five yard line right now. Okay. <laughs> we're going in at the thirty-five. We're actually in field goal range. If you give up a tackle here for no gain, we're still at the thirty-five yard line. Right. Like if you hold that backs us up to the 45. Now, if you want to do this really quickly, that makes it a long field goal. Right. <laughs> That's stupid. Morgan was a C plus. Brandon Sheriff, I thought, played one of his worst games in a while. Gave up a lot of pressures. Bull rush was a problem for him. Got pushed back into the quarterback a lot of times. Got beat with a swat and swim where he's given up uh, a sack. He actually sacked the quarterback. He tripped Alex Smith, so we should credit him on the defensive film breakdown <laughs> for that. Yeah. But he just has, he needed to have a better anchor to bull rush. And when coaches talk about the anchor, when you absorb that initial contact, your next foot that steps back and steps in the ground is, is an anchor. That's You're not going to give up more ground at that point. Did have a couple good plays as far as run movement, but also had a couple double teams where there's some stunts and there's some things going on where it didn't help Rouye as much 
before he left him on that double team look. And now you're watching TV and you're like, Chase Ruge is getting waxed right here. But ultimately, like there's one stretch run in the first half where it was a negative six yard carry. Right. It's a run for six, a six yard loss. Yeah. Brandon Sheriff has a defensive tackle outside of him to his right. They are double teaming that player up to the backer who is also outside of Brandon Sheriff. You can't just put your left hand and give him a quick pop and leave. Like that's a long way to go for the center. You have to let Ruye push you off of the double team right there. Brandon knows. I mean, I'm not saying like Brandon's really aware. I, I'm sure he expected that Ruye's speed would account for it. And, and he'd post him hard and read quick scoop, but he ends up getting split. The guy's up the field, six yard loss. It's as much on Brandon as it is Ruye right there. Sheriff was a C minus. Uh, Ruye wasn't great in this either. You know, he, um, you know, he signed an extension over the weekend. Chase did. Yeah. Good for him. Yes. I think he's a good player. Um, they struggled with some interior pressure. There, There's an interior pressure where they rushed three D linemen in the first half of this game, bring one nickel off the offensive left side. And it's just a stunt inside with both defensive tackles and Sheriff and Ria can't pass it up. And you're like, guys, our quarterback can't move. Interior pressure is a problem for us. Um, Ria was a D plus in this game. Hmm. Schweitzer was a C minus in this game, and Lucas was a C plus in this game. All right, let's get to the. It skill. was the worst performance in terms of pass protection that this offensive line's had in a while. I still think they can run the ball. I think they can pr- protect much better. Just keep in mind, and Tampa knows this. Like stunts troubled them up front with some edge pressures. Some edge pressures from a lot of times both sides with stunts in the middle was a problem for them. Tampa can do that. Tampa is also going to bring linebackers in the middle oh, yeah. with some of these pressures. So you're going to have to have some speed in the middle with these guys. And then we'll get to the skill guys here and wrap this thing up. Let's do that right after this word from one of our sponsors. Uh, Alex Smith with a C, but the uh, gutsy performance, uh, Cooley says, um, and the offensive line with one of the, uh, in aggregate, worst performances of the year for them. Uh, the best grade was a C-plus for Morgan Moses. Um, all right, skill position players. Start wherever you want to start. McKissick. Okay. Big time on the check down, third and nine, first drive, first down. Yeah. There it is. Old McKissick making the plays. Got hurt on that play. Yep. I don't know if this changed him in this game. There's a high sweep that he had a negative three-yard carry on, ends making a play upfield. It's first quarter. Yeah. He starts in motion across the formation, just past the right tackle. Then counters back. Right. This is this is actually on Alex and McKissick, but it's more on McKissick to time that. He's way late. That hits way too slow. It's an easy play for the defensive end. He's got to be full speed as he gets to Alex. I mean, and that's got to be as the ball snapped. Alex got to wait on it too long. That's timing. Not a bad play call right there. It's timing. The defensive end's a little bit wide pre-alignment, but he timed that up poorly. Maybe he's a 
90% healthy. Okay. Because it was about 90% right in terms of timing. It's not that he didn't understand it. It's just his transition as he went counter motion over and back was too slow. That's not, a couple kids. That's not a big play, even if it's timed right. They they seem to be sitting on it over there when he when he reverse course his motion course. Don't you think? Well, the defensive end is wide. He's got to out leverage him quick. But the thing is, is it's a good play for you if you get outside the defensive end because you now you're making him run. Right. Let's say you get three because you get outside the defensive end. He actually did a good job battling back to take not the biggest loss of all time because he was going to get tackled for six yard loss. Got a couple flat routes in this game, and he had a little screen route on a third and 15 in the fourth quarter that got them really back into field goal range. But other than that, you know, gave up a big sack with a terrible blitz pickup on yeah. Sorensen, did we decide? 49? No, Sing- got Singleton. 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 Yeah. Had another blitz pickup where he's really just – he's a little dude, but he's turning his head and body. He's going to start getting punked doing that. Um. I thought he had a zone run play that he cut back too early. He had the drop on the interception. This is a tough ball, but and it shouldn't be an interception. Right. That's look what I found kind of deal right there. Like Epps, you're not even going to say Epps this is this unique skill set for that. It's just it ended up in his hands. Then he had another drop on a third and four. Yeah, that was a big one. That was a big one. I thought he was a D. Gibson. Uh Nice catch and run on the first play of the game for six yards. Super cut on a inside zone or duo run. The first play of the third drive. It's 10 minutes and 18 seconds in the second quarter. It's an 11-yard gain. Mm-hmm. Watch that play, man. If you want to see a big-time cut by a back, pull that play up because – Kev, that's just a big time cutback right there. His vision's gotten it has really improved. I mean, do you give a guy like Randy Jordan credit for that? Or is I give it just Randy getting Jordan a lot of credit for that, and I give the I give Gibson a lot of credit for that because he's definitely working at it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, he wasn't a back. I mean, this wasn't really his position at Memphis. And if you remember the course of the season, early in the season. We sat here and said, dude is predetermining cuts and they're way too early and you're not getting linebacker flow. And teams were playing for the cutback. Linebackers were playing, falling off behind blocks. And then about week five or six, we were talking about it a bunch. And all of a sudden, now he's not cutting anything back. So they saw it as well as an offensive staff and said, you've got to work harder for the edge. Right. And then for a week or two, it was you probably missed the cut. <laughs> right. And it's evolved to where he's got a really good sense for pushing his landmark in his track as far as he can and even getting outside with it to making some of those cuts. But his jump cut stuff is really good, and his bounce to the outside with his speed still surprises people. And then what's really impressive is his power at the end of these runs. I mean, his power he, and his finish at the end of the runs are big. Yeah. You know, there was a third and five at the end of the game that he had a four-yard carry that he almost got the first down on. Right. Just keeps driving. Yeah. Um, made a couple big runs late in the game. He had an outside zone that is, a, is an awesome run that he ends up bouncing all the way outside. Cam Sims outside the receiver, and it's just it's, – it's, it's really good. Sheriff was excellent on that 12-yard run outside or 12 or 13 but that was a good play 
by Gibson. I thought he missed one cut back late in the game in the fourth fourth quarter. Um, there was a first and 10 running to his left. He cuts back too early inside. I thought if he just stayed outside, he had six or eight or whatever it was. But that Gibson ran really well. I'm wondering if they're trying to limit Gibson a little bit over the last two weeks. Well, I mean, he was out for a couple of weeks. He was not completely healthy. But, With the turf toe deal. But there's no tomorrow on Saturday night, and there was no tomorrow on Sunday night. So let's, you know, he's got all off season to recover. Yeah. 24 to me looks like Gibson looks like a potential star as a runner um, in this league, like in, in the next few years. I mean, I think he, he looks like a 1,200-yard back guy, 1,200-yard-plus guy. I think he does too, but I, I, I think he also has the ability to be a three-down back, right? If you want him to be, I know the, it, McKissick has had the year he's had, and I don't know if if Gibson's every bit of what McKissick is right now, but I, I don't see why he wouldn't be. Yeah, I don't know why you even have to take him out of games. That's the other thing, unless you're limiting him some, I'd want him in more. And maybe there's a lot. Maybe there's a package for Gibson, and that's where we feel comfortable with him mentally and physically, and we want to stick within that realm. Well, McKissick's You been, don't know what's happening in that building. McKissick's been their best third down option all year long. Well, he's been their best second and seven option too. Yeah, exactly. But I'm also saying I think Gibson's been fine when he's been asked to have some of those 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 routes. He's a receiver. Uh, Gibson was a B plus Barber only played six plays. I'm going to grade Barber an a because he's got two third down runs again, that he's doing the exact things he's supposed to do. Like the third down run in the third quarter. That's just, that's just big time. There's nowhere to go. He's trying to have some patience sprinkles getting beat in front of his face. So he's forced to just drift left and to fight and have the power to get the first down is huge. The receivers, Terry McLaurin, just a bunch of short stuff in this game. But I just don't know if they really felt like they could get the ball down the field. And I don't know if that was Terry. And that's also a product of Slay, who I think is, if not the best corner in the league, in in the top three cornerbacks in this league. Did have a hell of a release and a route on that corner out for a touchdown. Big play in a big moment right there. Yep. He caught some some five-yard out routes that most West Coast teams call a stick route. He's just too short on some of his underneath stuff. He's got to work on getting a full depth on his underneath stuff. That A five-yard out route, it's it's really coached as a four- to six-yard out route. And a lot of times that depends on how your feet time up. But you got to get all of four before you make that break. And I don't think his feet are timing up just right. And so he ends up getting just before four, like three and a half. A couple more yards on those would be good for – Terry in those situations um could have done a better job on that Sims reverse with some sustain on his block but Sims ends up making that guy miss anyway Terry McLaurin was a B Cam Sims the third and 10 that he catches on the first drive yeah pull that up I was just looking at Barber's runs god I, I love him in short yardage He's um, like 100% in short yardage, but pull up the third and 10 to Cam Sims in that first drive. I'm doing it. Tell me 
that if he keep well, first of all, I love this play. It's third and ten. They go four verts. Sims is outside, and the verts on his side, the verticals, act as two pick routes, which render him wide open in the middle of the field. But pause it when he gets to this opposite hash. And tell me that if he just keeps running straight, he doesn't score. Like on the angle that he's on. He ends up cutting this thing back. He catches it about the 22. And at about the 13, he decides he's going to cut back into three Eagles defenders. He could have walked in. By the way, I love the design of this play, per your suggestion, where Logan Thomas and Steven Sims running verts are essentially screeners. I mean, now, for that to work, really, you need Cam Sims's corner to be playing off, which he was. He was playing soft on third and ten. But he's got no chance because he's being screened on vert routes. Like, there's no, there's no way you can get flagged for this because you're just running a vertical route. And Sims comes open, and he, they, they, there's no defender near him. Now, on your question, um, you want him to turn it straight up the field rather no, than no. – uh, the angle that he starts on as he crosses the first hash. Pause it when he crosses the first hash and then draw a line on the angle that he's on. Who is going to tackle him? The quarter might hawk him down at the five. <laughs> it's just a weird cutback. That's all I'm saying. It's oh, oh, you're saying the cutback at the 10. The event. Yeah, right, right before oh, yeah, the 10 yeah. no, at no, the 13. No, 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 no. Yeah, why? He, he, that's true. He now, scores here. But he you know, he's not a he's not a blazing speed guy. He's been good after the catch. I think he's been very good after the catch. I just don't know if he feels in that moment, you know, he's one of those guys that isn't thinking that he can outrun a defender to the end zone, so he's gonna try to juke him back to the inside to get more. Uh but yeah, no, uh, there's a, t- a chance that if he keeps going on that angle that maybe he scores. Yes. All right. He catches a screen pass right before the half with, I think, about a minute seven left in the half. I think exactly a minute seven left in the half. Pull that up. Get the end zone copy and tell me where he's going. He ends up getting six yards. This is a nice little college screen. He's got four guys out in front of him. There's a lane as he gets up the numbers between Sheriff and Ruye where there's nobody nobody if he runs through the lane between his two linemen there's a safety left 10 yards down the field he he misread that poorly um i love the way i've got you calling it the college play Um, (laughs) the college screen the college play is going to be 20 yards at a minimum here and if he puts any move on the safety he walks in yeah that's one that you're showing him on tape and he's like yeah, I know. I I know. I I didn't feel it. I, <laughs> Coach, I see that now. <laughs> <laughs> right, I didn't see it then. Um, then I decided I would run back into all of the other players on the defense. I love these plays, though. I think these are the kind of plays they have to keep running. No, I, I think these are great opportunities for them. They can get on the edge with some of this stuff. And... It gets the ball out of Alex's hands right now. And to your point, too, and it's a really good point, you know, 
you watch some of this stuff with some quarterbacks. They don't throw a catchable ball. Like this has to be the kind of ball where the receiver isn't even needing to focus on the catch because he knows it's going to be where it's going to be and it's going to set him up. It's going to catch him in stride. And Alex throws those kinds of balls. Dwayne didn't necessarily. I mean, that thing is perfect for Sims. Oh, it know? leads him upfield. It hits him yeah. just above the waist. It's excellent. Anyway, he had another catch. The play that preceded that on a dig route right before was another big play by Cam Sims. Normally, and I'm showing you this, normally Cam's been pretty good with the ball in his hands. Yeah, agreed. He wasn't necessarily in this game, but he made some big catches in this game. I thought he blocked really well in this game. I like Cam Sims. He was a B. Steven Sims Jr. played 30 plays. He had a good play on this little reverse, nice little juke. He had an over-the-ball catch. Did he end up with any other receptions in this game? No. I don't know if he had anything else. I think it was one reception in the game. He had the one run, and I think he had the one reception. I didn't note this. He, He won't block anybody, but I didn't note the exact play. But they're split up. Two receivers to the left. Sims is the inside receiver. They run a weak side zone, and Steven Sims just watches the defender who's outside in the slot head up over him, crash inside, and get in on the run. He bypasses him and goes up to the safety. Guy, there's nobody else to account for your nickel defender. It's you. There's not another player there that's going to block the dude. If he comes flying in, he's going to tackle the back. You can't bypass him. Can I just like there's just there's no reason for you to do that. And he doesn't even look like he looks at him. He looks at him, but he doesn't think about it. Now, there are times and then you can. There are times where that guy starts to creep before the ball snapped. And in those situations, either the quarterback or the offensive line has to understand our split receiver can't block him. That nickel crash can't get blocked by that receiver. It's too hard to get to him. But. Kev, when you're five yards extended from the left tackle and that DB is extended five yards with you and then fires off the edge as the ball snapped, he's blockable and needs to be blocked. That shit drives me crazy. It doesn't seem that um, in the same way that we said this about Inman, it doesn't seem that he senses the urgency. Um, This was a game uh, somebody might want to remind Steven that they had to win to get into the postseason. Again, I'll say this for the 50th time in a week and a half. Uh, I'll, my stomach will turn if I see him back on a punt return on Saturday night. Um, The other thing I, what I wanted to uh, interject is two things. One, I thought I thought Cam I think Cam Sims is a really willing participant as a blocker, yep. which I love. Um, and then number two is that after your film breakdown of AGG last week, where he got fifty something snaps, what did I tell you would happen? You said he would be inactive, and he was. Now McLaurin was active, but they brought Inman back up. They signed Inman and played Inman before AGG. Well, they played Inman for two plays. Uh, but it doesn't matter. He was active. AGG he wasn't. was active, yes. Yeah. Inman actually on his two plays, they ran an inside zone play and he goes in to t- try to block the safety, doesn't get him. The safety ends up tackling Gibson after a good cut. And you're like, hey. Hey, guy. Just get on him. <laughs> hey, guy. <laughs> God. I mean, yeah. Maybe, maybe Luke Cole can return punts and also get in there and block a little bit for Inman and for oh, Sims. Um, 
I pulled up Luke Cole. I looked it up. It took me a little bit of time. He, um, at Hamilton High School in Chandler, Arizona, had a punt return for a touchdown. Boom. He's our guy. He's our guy. He did it once in high school. At least once he scored a touchdown on it. I know he can fill the punt. <laughs> All right. Who's next? All right, Logan Thomas is next, and that's about it. Um, the screen was good early. He had another screen in the third quarter. They did does a good job getting upfield. Touchdown was absolutely massive by Logan Thomas. Probably need to get Logan more involved if you're going to be with more underneath stuff. I told you that route on the pick was garbage. Yep. And he knows it. He knows it wasn't a good route, and he probably got his feet crossed up or got his timing off on it. But to me, that's on him. There, <laughs> I, I remember specifically, and I remembered again when I watched this play, is they get down in the red zone, and I think if this was the very first drive. It's when Collinsworth – it's after the screen. It's the play after the screen. It's got to be because Collinsworth is – promoting Logan Thomas as a blocker. You know, he's gotten so much better. Now he's become a really good blocker. And the very next play, he goes out to block Graham, who's outside of him. It should have been an easy block. And Graham just jukes him and jumps inside and makes the tackle. And you're like, well, he wasn't a very good blocker on that play. Yeah, I'm watching he's that just, play right now. Yeah. Okay. You're, that's an easy block to get done. Well, I what pro football focuses numbers tell you, Cooley. That's all Collinsworth cared about. What's the PFF number on him as a What's blocker? The PFF number. And he he totally whiffs on the next play. And not only does he whiff, he gives up too after he whiffed as a blocker. Oh, I mean, once once he was whiffed, it, I don't know if there was much he could do there. Yeah, I've done that. I've done that before. Oh, sure. Guy gets inside of you, and you're like, I wonder if the back can make him miss. Right. <laughs> Logan Thomas was a B minus. Sprinkle wasn't good in this game. I don't know how much Sprinkle played, but he wasn't very good in this ball game. He played a lot. He hasn't been very good in this ball game or in, in a lot of games. He is not a positive influence on games. I didn't grade Sprinkle, but it's a D. It's in the D range. So okay. that's your film breakdown. It's a really, really average offense. Yeah, this but is what I- it is. But we know what we are. We have a really average offense who I think could mix some things in first and 10 situations a little bit better, could run the ball a little more effect, a bit more effectively, especially with some gap scheme stuff and could get to the edge with some more stretch stuff. They're going to need to do that. Tomorrow, uh, a defensive film breakdown and maybe a little bit more on the QB rotation from Rivera. Uh, good job. I think that the Alex breakdown was very instructive because not because it sort of agreed with the way I thought. Um, I'm always interested to see if my initial Monday recap is going to match up with your film breakdown, especially on quarterbacks. But I, it was for those that really were so convinced that Alex had to be pulled because he was totally ineffective. I just thought that that was was an exaggeration of what was going on out there. And I did feel that way about the 49er game, and and so did you. He was really totally inaccurate and immobile in the 49er game. He was only one of the two on Sunday. He was immobile, but he was not inaccurate. Um, and if I get my ina- if I get my accuracy and my getting the ball out quickly and my intangibles with immobility on Saturday night, that's what I'm going with. I'll take that. Every day, baby. Old reliable. (laughs) Old reliable. All right. uh, Talk to you tomorrow. Later.